Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African Perspective, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's Audio BK Channel 802 and you can also catch us on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Amanda Machaka and with me in studio is Anne Musa, Tabiso Lihuku and Figile Lingwati. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine this hour. Nigerian activist Omoyile Sobore rearrested hours after he was freed. Miss South Africa's Ozibini Tunzi crowned Miss Universe. In economics, IMF approves $247 million reform loan to Angola. And in sports, Jaliba AC beats Vets in a CAF Confederation Cup match. But first, here's Al Musa with the news. SABC News. Independent. And impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Africa's ruling ANC says it cannot confirm whether former president Jacob Zuma is unwell and receiving treatment overseas. This follows some reports that Zuma is in Cuba receiving treatment at a secret hospital. Reports of Zuma being unwell have been met with skepticism in some quarters, with speculation he may be trying to avoid a looming corruption trial. ANC National Spokesperson Pulemabi was speaking to journalists on the sidelines of the National Executive Committee meeting in Benoni, east of Johannesburg. He would only confirm that Zuma was not present. Like yourselves, we have seen media reports that suggest that the former president of the ANC's health might be ailing. And if that was to be true, we of course wish him well and a speedy recovery. We do not have any further details except what we saw in the press. The Interior Minister of the UN-backed government of Libya, Fatih Bashaga, has issued an order to start an immediate investigation into the mistreatment of a captured pilot of the rival East Army, uh, East-based army. At the weekend, the UN-backed government forces announced shooting down a fighter jet of the East-based army in the western city of Zouaia, west of the capital Tripoli, and capturing its pilot. The minister also ordered to replace the head of the security force that captured the pilot. Libyan social media posted uh, photos of the captured pilot who was being beaten and stripped of his military uniform. Young environmental activists will take center stage at the UN Climate Change Conference in Madrid in Spain. Greta Thunberg from Sweden and German's Luisa Nubea will host a press conference in the morning to share their views and expectations from this year's negotiations on climate change. 2019 has been a big year for youth activism in the environmental space. In September, the United Nations hosted a Youth Climate Summit in New York, where young people presented plans and projects to combat climate change. Noma Bulani reports. Scientists have warned that the climate crisis will affect the younger and future generations the most. Environmentalists even describe it as a child rights crisis. 
Experts are concerned that country plans and mitigation and the nationally determined contributions don't mention children or young people. A side event will take place where a group of youth from different continents will share their concerns. Also, an intergovernmental declaration on children, youth and climate action will be launched by UNICEF and the Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights. The declaration calls on member states to commit to accelerating inclusive, child-responsive climate action. Miss South Africa Zozibeni Tunzi, who hails from the Eastern Cape Province, has won the Miss Universe 2019 competition. Puerto Rico's Madison Anderson took first place, and Mexico's Sofia Aragon second. Katrina Gray from the Philippines crowned her successor. The Tyler Perry Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, and the United States. 90 women from around the world took part in the competition. Here's the announcement. Only one of you can be crowned our new Miss Universe. If for any reason the winner is unable to fulfill her duties, the first runner-up will take her place. Good luck to you both. The new Miss Universe is South Africa! American entertainer Steve Harvey asked the the new Miss Universe about leadership before she was crowned. What is the most important thing we should be teaching young girls today? I think the most important thing we should be teaching young girls today is leadership. It's something that has been lacking in young girls and women for a very long time, not because we don't want to, but because of what society has labeled women to be. I think we are the most powerful beings on the world and that we should be given every opportunity and that is what we should be teaching these young girls to take up space. Nothing as important as taking up space in society. And that's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Finalists, the time has come. The second runner-up for Miss Universe 2019 is Mexico. Congratulations, Mexico. Now we are down to South Africa and Puerto Rico. Only one of you can be crowned our new Miss Universe. If for any reason the winner is unable to fulfill her duties, the first runner-up will take her place. Good luck to you both. The new Miss Universe is... South Africa! Thank you. Take your first walk as Miss Universe 2019. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms. On Facebook, Channel Africa 1. On Twitter, at Channel Africa 1. 
and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Man, all of Africa is celebrating the crowning of South Africa's Zozibini Tunze as Miss Universe, a beautiful brown-skilled woman. She said that I think the most important thing we should be teaching young girls today is leadership. That is something that Oprah Winfrey has just emphasized on as well as she was congratulating Zozibini Tunze. And Zozie went on to say it's something that has been lacking in young girls and women for a very long time, not because we don't want to, but because of what society has labeled women to be. And she says, I think we are the most powerful beings in the world and we should be given every opportunity and nothing is more important than taking up space in a society. So, so beautiful. And she really deserves it. And every brown skinned girl out there now can see her face in Zozis. So we say congratulations to her. We are super proud of her. And moving on, on Africa Rise and Shine, a Nigerian activist and former presidential candidate whose detention has prompted pro by Knights groups was re-arrested on Friday at a court hearing hours after he was freed on bail. Omuyele Soware, who ran against President Muhammadu Buhari in February's election, was first arrested in August and has pleaded not guilty to charges of treason, money laundering and harassing the president. He was released on bail on Thursday ahead of a court hearing on Friday. Omoye Leshe-Ore's ordeal began last August after he was picked up by security operatives from the Department of State Security 24 hours before his planned demonstration against what he sees as poor government's attendance to national issues with the tag Revolution Now. The journalist, activist and presidential candidate in the February 2019 election was to remain in detention until his bail was reaffirmed on the 5th of December 2019. Shore said there were attempts on his life while in detention. What is important for Nigerians to know is that I am not going to leave up until every Nigerian benefits from a country that is theirs. And I've made it very clear. They tried to break me in prison. They sent delegations to me offering all kinds of and I refused. And they promised that I would not walk out of their detention alive. That is what they came here to implement today. It is our country, and some people have to make the sacrifice for this country to be a country of rule, of law. While his followers were still basking in the euphoria of his release, men of the Department of State Security swapped on Shawara in the court premises and attempted to rearrest him. The move was challenged by social activists and his supporters, but his lawyer Femi Falano had to personally drive him to the headquarters of the DSS where he has now been detained without any known court order setting aside his bail, which allowed him the short-lived limited freedom. But the persecution lawyer Hazan Lehman probably not aware that Shawara was being stalked for a rearrest says the court's order for his release was complied with. It has been said in open court, in compliance with the order of the court, which granted bail to the defendants, the DSS, that's the federal government of Nigeria, released Mr. Shore and Bakare yesterday, the 5th of December, 2019. That court order has given a twist to the release story because right now, Omoyele Showore is back in detention. The situation has been described by a number of persons as unlawful and a breach of the court process. The defense lawyer Femi Falano described what happened at court. A bunch of lumpen elements sponsored by the government 
by the State Security Service to demonstrate in the premises of the court against Mrs. Shore and Bakari. From that moment, I did some investigation and I got information while I was in the court that a new charge was going to be filed and that the Director General of the State Security Service had ordered that Mr. Shore be abducted in the premises of the court. You cannot arrest in the premises of the court. But that was what the operatives of the State Security Service wanted to do until Falano elicited to drive his client to the headquarters of the DSS. President of the Nigerian Bar Association, the body of Nigerian lawyers, Paul Usoro, says the action remained from the DSS is a desecration of the court. I think we should look at it from different levels. The first one is the act of actually having armed people go into the well of the courts that to arrest anybody. That is unheard of. It's a desecration of hallowed grounds of the courts. You are desecrating a place where, in fact, you are supposed to uphold the rule of law. And in fact, what you're doing in effect and going in with people with guns is to effectively tell everyone that you're not obeying the rule of law, you're not under the rule of law, that might is right. A social activist and coordinator of the Concerned Nigeria Group, the G. Adeyonju, says security agent acted with impunity. And you can see the way that Omoyeleshawari was abducted in court right before the judge. The DG of the DSS is answerable to the president. The president is the one sanctioning all these acts. So there is no lawyer, there is no judge that witnessed what happened that will say that all is well with the country. Reactions to the rearrest of Shore did not stop in Nigeria. One of Nigeria's friends, the United States of America, sees it as a violation of the tenets of democracy. According to Senator Bob Menendez, Washington is watching Nigeria on the issue. New Jersey is watching, the United States is watching, and the world is watching. I fear that the blatant harassment of Mr. Suare and activists and journalists whose only crime appears to be exercising his right to free expression is becoming symptomatic of increasingly closing political and civic space in Nigeria, leading me to conclude either that Nigeria no longer respects the rule of law or President Buhari is woefully out of touch with what agents of his government are doing in his name. Freedom of the press is a fundamental pillar of democracy and an indispensable check on government overreach. Journalists who risk their lives to expose the truth should be celebrated, not incarcerated. Apart from Soares' aged mother who sent a plea to President Buhari to free his son, his wife says she is shaken by the development. He got to speak to myself and the children. For the first time, they got to see his eyes when they spoke to him, when we FaceTimed with him. I am truly shaken to my core at what I witnessed this morning, what I can only call truly outrageous and a, a gross disregard for the rule of law. The battle for the release of Omoyele Shawore is just taking a new turn now that the presidency has come out to say that the Department of State Security is acting within its power. What is not clear, however, is if that power includes not compliance with court orders. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosato in for Channel Africa News. 
The new president of the European Commission, Ashla von der Leyen, met with the chair of the African Union Commission, Musafaki Mohamed, at the AU headquarters in Addis Ababa. She highlighted the priorities for her tenure where she needs Africa's collaboration. Coletta Wanjohi reports from Addis Ababa. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, met with the chair of the African Union Commission, Musafaki Mohamed, at the AU headquarters in Addis Ababa. She highlighted the priorities of her tenure where she needs Africa's collaboration. You here on the African continent understand climate change better than anyone else. You just told me about the deserts of advancing. You told me about the floods becoming more frequent and more violent. But you are also experimenting on new solutions from the Great Green Wall to reforestation, for example, here in Ethiopia. Digital pioneers and tech hubs are proliferating from South Africa to Tunisia, from Rwanda to Ethiopia. Young people are asking for more investment, better education, stronger infrastructure. We've been talking about that. The issue of fighting migrant smuggling and root causes of irregular migration was on the agenda. We've been speaking about the topic of migration too. Honestly, I don't have all the answers to these challenges, but I'm convinced that together we can find answers. In 2017, the African Union and the European Union met and agreed to cooperate in investing in the youth through education and employment, promoting good governance, peace and security, as well as trade and economic activities. The AU says the visit of the European Commission president affirms this. Eba Kalondo is the spokesperson of the AU Commission Chair. Is basically just to be able to carry on, consolidate and make sure that the commitments made in Abidjan are then come to fruition with this new commission led by President von der Leyen. The European Union is one of Africa's biggest trading partners. The two unions will meet again in 2020 in Brussels to assess how much of their 2017 joint decisions they have implemented and how to proceed with those they haven't made much strides on. The president of the European Commission has also met Ethiopia's Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. The EU has offered Ethiopia a financial package worth over $187 million. It will go towards supporting Ethiopia's National Electoral Board to ensure transparency and accountability in the country's 2020 general elections, job creation projects, as well as supporting implementation of the Prime Minister's economic reform agenda. I'm Koleto Anjoif in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. In each and every one of us, there, there is a purpose and grace. We were all meant to shine. It is up to an individual to, to realize, realize that, that purpose. Don't ever let somebody tell you you can't do something. Join me, Amanda Machaga, on Life by Design, where I will be talking to people who share their journey on how they discovered their purpose with the hope to inspire you to, to live your life by design. design. Tune in to Life by Design for your dose, dose of Monday, Monday motivation. motivation every Monday at 8 a.m. Central African time and at 2 a.m. the following day. Life, life by, by design, design, be the architect of your life. life. Only on Channel Africa, be African, be African perspective. It's 90 minutes after 7 Central African time. You listen to Africa Rise and Shine here on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. My name is Amanda Machaga. I'm in for Lulu Kabu. South Africa's Environment Minister Barbara Creasy has called on African ministers to speak with one voice when negotiating at the UN Climate Change Conference COP25 in Madrid, Spain. She made the call at the African Ministers' Conference on Environment on Sunday. I'm seen as seeking special circumstances, conditions to be considered for Africa that 
that will ensure that the continent is provided with infrastructure and financial support in its fight against climate change. Chrissy says without these commitments from the developed world, it will be difficult to reach the carbon reduction targets in the Paris Agreement. Namabolano reports from Madrid. African ministers of environment are concerned that the Green Climate Fund isn't being replenished adequately. This creates a challenge for developing countries to achieve their adaptation and mitigation targets. Amson's David Ombisi. We are on the brink of missing the opportunity to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees centigrade. Reflecting on the report's overall conclusions, it's evident that incremental changes will not be enough and there is a need for rapid and transformational action. Central to their arguments and negotiating stance is that Africa can't afford to address the loss and damage caused by climate change from their developing economies. The Amson meeting agreed that it was imperative for Africans to send one unified message. The developed world must play its part responsibly in fighting climate change effects in the global south. Barbara Creasy is South Africa's Environment Minister and President of AMSON. The African continent wants a clear share of the proceeds from both Articles 6.2 and 6.4, which we see going towards an adaptation fund. Lastly, we have stressed the importance of new, additional, predictable, and adequate finance, technological transfer, and capacity building for the African continent as a whole and African countries individually. For South Africa, Creasy says the transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy shouldn't result in any job losses or industry collapse. She says it's important that action plans to mitigate climate change doesn't leave anyone behind. There are many, many families in our country that are, are dependent uh, not only on the mining sector but also on the, our state-owned enterprises for our livelihoods. We do not want those, those families to be left behind in the transition. In 2015 in Paris, the developed world had pledged to donate 100 billion US dollars towards the Green Climate Fund, but currently just 5 billion dollars has been committed. Developing countries needing financial assistance are feeling the pinch. I'm Norma Bolani in Madrid, Spain. The world is facing a highly disruptive moment in history and seismic shifts in technology and climate change could trigger a new divergence in society not seen since the Industrial Revolution. That was among the key messages revealed in the latest United Nations Human Development Report that focuses on a new generation of inequalities that have brought peoples onto the streets en masse in different parts of the globe. The report titled Beyond Income, Beyond Averages, Beyond Today, Inequalities in human development in the 21st century is being built as a tool to inform public debate and impart discussion among key local, national and international policymakers. Show in Bryce Peace reports. As social unrest sweeps the globe from Hong Kong in Asia, Lebanon and Iran in the Middle East, France and the United Kingdom in Europe to the discontent in Sudan and Zimbabwe and other parts of Africa to Chile and Venezuela in South America. The 350-page report argues that inequality is a common thread and could be a blueprint 
on how to tackle development in the 21st century. Listen to administrator of the UN's development program, Akim Steiner. We seem to be confronted with uh, an increasing sense of discontent, of frustration that manifests itself in some of the political uh, extremes that are emerging in, in national political debates, in the national political landscapes, but also with increasingly violent reactions that we have witnessed. And these responses or reactions on the streets, so to speak, have a lot to do with development outcomes and development choices of the past. Steiner and the authors of this report argue that this is not a story of development failures. Quite the contrary, in that development has delivered success stories, including bringing millions of people out of dire poverty. But they also point to what we are witnessing right now and make the case that policy responses that are being developed are simply no longer adequate or acceptable to large numbers of people who no longer perceive them to deliver fair outcomes in the 21st century. We still have the challenge of the extremely poor, but on the back of you know, many successful policies in reducing extreme poverty, what we are seeing is an opening up of a new generation of inequalities. And those, interesting enough, are particularly centered around the emerging middle classes of societies and therefore also manifest themselves through a more vocal set of protests and responses that have emanated from them. The report points out that a new generation of inequalities is opening up around education, around technology and climate change that, if left unchecked, could trigger a great split in societies everywhere. Pedro Consaico is the lead author of the report. Inequalities in dim all dimensions of human development are still high. Inequalities are high and widespread. Uh, and one example uh, is if we look at what happened to a child born in the year 2000 in a low human development country compared to a child born in a very high human development country. In a low human development country, there's a 17% probability that the child is not alive today, 20 years after uh, she was born. While in a very high human development country, there's only 1% chance that that child is not born, not alive today. And more than half of the ch children born in the year 2000 in a very high human development country are in higher education today, while only 3% in a low human development country in are in higher education today. So inequalities in human development remain high and widespread. The report analyzes inequalities in three steps, beyond income, beyond averages, and beyond today. And as Akim Steiner explains, inequalities of the 20th century are giving way to a new generation of inequalities in the 21st century. Understanding inequality and also framing responses to that phenomenon at local, national and international level, because at all three we are challenged, requires us to think beyond income. It's not the economy anymore, stupid. It is much more complex. And it may have been in the 1980s, but it certainly will not answer to the phenomena we are witnessing every night on our television screens and we can read in newspapers about what is happening and how people are reacting. It is also beyond averages, because averages do not capture the distributional reality. With the recognition 
that averages like per capita income and per capita GDP growth for a country often don't provide a full picture of a society's development as the principle of fairness becomes key. European countries dominate the top 10 of the inequality-adjusted human development index, with Norway, Switzerland and Ireland making up the top three. South Africa is at 113th out of 189 countries listed. I'm Sherman Ricepies in New York. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango, Channel Africa, Blantyre. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa. Self confident, on top of the situation, capable of picking up improbabilities, contradictions. He was imposing. He was a very tough negotiator. He didn't come up with a, a statement to the negotiations of trying to take revenge, of blame, criticism, bitterness, retribution. What he did was to get into the mind of his adversary. I don't think that 27 years was a waste. It was quite crucial in the making of who he turned out to be. Nelson Mandela. The key to our freedom, reconciliation, and unity. It's approaching 7.30 Central African time, and Musa has the news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussan. The headline, South Africa's ruling ANC says it cannot confirm whether former President Jacob Zuma is unwell and receiving treatment at a hospital in Cuba. Young environmental activists will take centre stage at the UN Climate Change Conference this morning in Madrid, Spain. And the Interior Minister of the UN-backed government of Libya has issued an order to start an immediate investigation into the mistreatment of a captured pilot of the rival East based army those are the stories making headlines africa rise and shine africa Zorza. africa amuka na unai The forthcoming South African Communist Party Special National Congress will determine whether communists are ready to contest political power. Delegates at the four-day meeting starting today will debate and finalize if the party will contest future elections independently. Ndeba Mukobo spoke to the SACP's first Deputy General Secretary Soli Mabaila on the party's prospects if it were to contest future elections outside of the South Africa's ruling African National Congress. For some time now, the South African Communist Party has been pushing for a reconfiguration of the alliance. 
Its lower structures have complained about the dominance of the ANC on candidate lists, policy proposals and deployment processes, say many SACP and COSATO members are being sidelined. Some party members believe the best ways to contest future elections outside the ANC and are now looking at the 2021 local government elections as the best time to test their electoral support. An already a discussion paper titled New Possibilities, New Challenges and New SACP Responsibilities has been prepared for consideration at the Congress this week. The party's first Deputy General Secretary, Solima Paila. We have developed a discussion document in this regard. As you know, it was a big issue in our previous Congress. The matter was uh, mandated by Congress for further discussions together with our allies. It had two components into it. The first was the reconfiguration of the alliance and the building of broad and popular fronts. So we've engaged in both areas as the Central Committee. So we'll be giving a report back to the Special National Congress, but as well as to get a feedback from the structures about the discussion document we've developed in this regard. So it's a real issue at the Special National Congress. Although delegates are still to discuss this issue, Mapaila says there is an overwhelming mood for the party to contest power at the local sphere of government. What has come out largely is the fact that there's a necessity to take part in uh, local government elections, as well as to strengthen that aspect of uh, the tool of the reconfiguration of the alliance. But at the moment, I think uh, there's clarity that they will not be wholesale not contesting local government elections, particularly because of challenges that are there in local government. There are areas that quite clearly our structures feel the party should have mandated them to participate in the elections. So this is one big issue that will arise, and I do have a sense that at least at local government level, there's a vibe towards uh, contesting. For the first time, the SACP contested elections at Metzimaholo municipality in the Free State and defending his comrades at the lower structure. Mapaila said they were not influenced by careerism and lust for power. He said they decided to contest because the ANC had failed the community and workers in that municipality. You can say whatever you want to say. If um, the NC doesn't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And that's why we have to reconfigure the alliance because we are sick and tired where we'll say we will agree on things and they are not done. And we don't have a tool to ensure or to enforce them. So what we have done now with the alliance reconfiguration is to agree on a compliance uh, modality. Uh, of decisions uh, of the alliance. But to the level of enforceability, it's something else. And I think that Metzima um, Holder has taught us, for instance, that once you have a sense of uh, political power, you are able to, at equal level, be able to engage your partner. So in this case, we think that uh, the ANC will be forced to, to listen. With a long-standing view that the alliance is still relevant, Solima Paila said a wish to contest elections outside the ANC does not signal the beginning of the end of the alliance. He maintains the SACP voice will still be expressed within the context of the alliance, insisting they are now pinning their hopes in the reconfiguration process. There's progress in this case of the reconfiguration of the alliance. You remember we issued a joint statement a couple of weeks ago. The alliance for the first time agreed on a joint framework on reconfiguration, which is a major milestone. And if that were to be adhered to, it does bring new issues into the debate. But political analyst Dr. Ralph Mateka says although proponents of a contest for political power might be influenced by opportunities in government, these communists might have a point in that within the alliance, the SACP and Cosanta are junior partners which are only valued at election time. But political analyst Dr. Ralph Mateka says although proponents of a contest for political power might be influenced by opportunities in government, these communists might have a point in that within the alliance, the SACP and Cosanto are just junior partners which are only valued at election time.
Some people will certainly be influenced by opportunities that if the SACP were to stand for election, they will then have opportunities. Some don't enjoy the current opportunities that is being enjoyed by some at the top of the SACP. Those who easily access top government positions within the alliance partnership agreement. But there is also a genuine issue here that has been raised about the SACP just being there, just standing on its own. There are those who genuinely just want to see that happening because they believe that South Africa's political landscape is right for that and some believe that the FACP is not gaining much within the Trapatite Alliance therefore it should regain its own credibility by standing on its own. A serious concern that the SACP is having with the ANC is that of cadre deployment. The party says most of its members were removed from the candidate list in the 2016 elections and that had recurred up to the national elections where some party members were excluded from the parliamentary and legislative lists. While senior SACP leaders, including Dr. Bladen Zimande and Tula Sinesi, as well as former Young Communist League leader Putimana are included in President Ramaphosa's new cabinet, several communist leaders, including the party's chairperson Senzen Izokwana, Rob Davis and Eunice Karima, left in the cold. I am Debu Mokobo in Johannesburg. Cameroon has organized a national vaccination campaign to stop a measles outbreak that has infected more than 3,000 people, especially children, this year. The most affected area is the Central African state's northern border with Nigeria and Chad, where 17 children have died this month. Health officials believe many more people are infected since barely 30% of the population visits conventional health facilities. Channel Africa's Moki Kinzaga reports from Yaoundé. Pour cette campagne, il faudrait que les parents comprennent que ce ne sera pas du porte-à-porte comme lors des campagnes polio, où il fallait aller marquer les maisons, fouiller dans la maison. Non. This is the voice of Dr. Edouard Brice, coordinator of the vaccination teams dispatched to towns and villages around Cameroon's capital city, Yaoundé. Edouard is on the streets of Yaoundé, telling people that vaccination teams are stationed in all road junctions, churches, schools, markets and popular spots and will not be visiting homes as they have always done in the past. He says in the past, they did not meet many parents and children at home because they had gone to schools, farms, offices or markets. Nurse Teresa Mabu, a member of the vaccination team from Cameroon's Public Health Ministry, says the vaccination campaign is aimed at saving millions of lives threatened by the measles outbreak. It is efficient, it is simple, and it's uh, free for all the children. So I'm calling on all the parents, all the mothers to vaccinate their child. We also have this deworming of children from one year to five years. We have vitamin A that is given from six months to five years. The Public Health Ministry reports that the northern regions, where more than 2,000 of this year's 3,000 reported cases have occurred, have higher birth rates and lower routine vaccination coverage as barely three out of every ten mothers visit conventional health facilities. They prefer African traditional medical practitioners who are more accessible and available than hospitals that are often very far away, understaffed and lack medication. Fear and misinformation make some distrust vaccinations. Some parents either refuse or forget to have their children vaccinated when they are nine months old 
as recommended by the World Health Organization. 23-year-old mother of two, Lovelyn Tossam, says it was after she lost her two-year-old baby shortly after she arrived at the Biamasi District Hospital in Yaoundé that the medical staff informed her that she had to vaccinate her children. She was coughing, she was very weak, and she was vomiting senselessly. 24 hours afterward, we lost her, and it's now that I'm learning that we had to go for vaccination. The World Health Organization lists vaccine hesitancy as one of the top threats to global health that have been leading to the resurfacing of measles in some countries. Dr. Fanuel Habimana, World Health Organization resident representative in Cameroon, says people should trust vaccines' ability to save lives. The vaccine that is offered to children is a vaccine sure. He says people should be informed that the vaccines given to their children are efficient and certified by the World Health Organization. He says he was also vaccinated when he was young and is calling on community, religious, opinion and political leaders and everyone in authority to educate all parents so they will allow their children to be vaccinated. He says after the campaign, the knowledge of the need for routine vaccinations for newborns should be reinforced. Two injections of a vaccine can prevent measles and the WHO says treatment is safe and effective and has been in use since the 1960s. Cameroon reported its last massive measles outbreak from February 2010 to July 2011 when 37 out of the 179 health districts in the country were affected. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzuka in Yaoundé. A group of Indian policemen were hailed as national heroes after they killed four arrested rapists in Hyderabad city on the weekend. And as calls for instant justice for sexual offenders grew louder, rights groups and lawmakers warned India would slide into chaos if the judicial process is sidestepped. Neha Punya has more from New Delhi. Police in the state of Telangana say they were forced to shoot the men in the early hours of Friday local time when they tried to make an escape. The police had taken the four suspects to the scene of the crime in a bid to reconstruct the rape and murder of the 27-year-old doctor. The vet was allegedly abducted last week, gang-raped and strangled to death. Police say her body was then set alight in a bid to destroy evidence. The brutality of the crime has sparked widespread protests across India. The parents of the victim have welcomed the death of the men, saying that their daughter has finally been given justice. Many politicians and citizens have welcomed the killing as well, lauding the police's actions. India sees over 90 rape cases every day. Despite the setting up of fast-track courts, cases move slowly and conviction rates are very low. Earlier this week, an Indian parliamentarian also called for the public lynching of rapists. However, critics have called this an extrajudicial killing since the men were reportedly unarmed when they were shot dead. Many have also warned against celebrating their death, saying that these men hadn't yet been convicted and were still considered suspects in the crime. Neha Punya, SABC News, New Delhi. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure 
full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlet to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on internet and satellite from an African perspective. Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunya Nzovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. 7.45 Central African Time, it's time for our economics news with Tabisoli Huku. Thanks, Amanda, and good morning. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, says its systems is still highly constrained. The power utility says a stage two load shedding will continue until 11 o'clock tonight, Central African time, due to a shortage in the power generation capacity. ESCOM says the city power in Johannesburg has warned that the power utility surges due to load shedding and is causing extensive damage to infrastructure following an explosion at one of its substations over the weekend. A number of areas in the north of Johannesburg were left without electricity. Eskom spokesperson Dikato Motai has urged customers to continue using electricity sparingly. Um, as you leave home this morning, please switch off your appliances. And um, when you leave uh, work this afternoon, uh, please switch off um, all that equipment that you know you will not be using overnight or that will not be used overnight, like uh, computers, copiers and uh, printers. The Zimbabwean government has paid some 100 former white farm owners 53 million US dollars in line with its pledges to compensate them for improvements on their expropriated land. During his 2020 budget presentation last month, Finance Minister Mtulin Mube said he had set aside 380 million US dollars to compensate mainly former white farmers who lost their land due to, or rather, during former President Robert Mugabe's chaotic land reform program, which started in the early 2000s. 
The move as part of President Emerson Mnangag was undertaken to appease angry white farmers who laid claims to tracts of farmland seized by the state under the controversial land reform program. The International Monetary Fund has approved a second tranche of 247 million US dollar loan to be paid to Angola under its extended fund facility following a review of the Southern African Oil Producers' Progress under the program. The multilateral lender announced the move. The International Monetary Fund originally approved the facility totaling 3.7 billion US dollars in December 2018 to help Angola manage twin budget and balance of payments crises after tanking global crude prices ripped a hole in its revenues. A report has revealed that counterfeit Kenyan goods being sold in South Sudan have caused a diplomatic tension between Nairobi and Juba, putting genuine manufacturers at risk of having their products blacklisted in the country. The goods are said to either be smuggled to South Sudan through the Ugandan border or manufactured in Juba's black market. A Kenya government memo seen by the East African reveals that so rampant is the trade that, fearing a backlash against genuine manufacturers, the Kenyan ambassador to South Sudan has written a strongly worded letter to the Kenya Bureau of Standards, asking the agency to act or risk having Kenyan goods barred from entering South Sudan. International trade, trade facilitation and infrastructure developments are amongst those which have been prioritized by the government of Eswatini for the implementation of the Vienna Program of Action. Minister of Commerce, Industry and Trade, Mangoba Kumalu, made these remarks during the plenary session of the high-level midterm review of the implementation of the Vision Program of Action for landlocked developing countries held in New York. The minister says the kingdom of Eswatini, with a population of about 1.2 million people, a geographical landmass of over 17,000 square meters, and surrounded by South Africa and Mozambique, had placed a structural economic transformation at the core of its national economic agenda. The U.S. dollar is trading at 369.99 Nigerian Nara, 1068 Botswana Pula, 182 Kenyan shilling and 1519 Zambian kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 413 Brazilian roll, 6364 Russian ruble, 714 Indian rupee, 73 Chinese yuan and 1460 to the South African rand, 76 pence to the British pound, 90 cents to the euro. Gold $1,459, platinum $892 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $64.18 a barrel. It's Channel Africa, your favorite channel. Thank you, Tabi. So it's time now for our sports news with Vicky Lelingwati.
in this hour. We're kicking off with athletics. Russian athletes could be barred from the Tokyo Olympic Games when the World Anti-Doping Agency, WADA, the executive committee meets today. The Russian anti-doping agency Rusada was suspended after a 2015 WADA report found evidence of state-sponsored doping in Russian sport and the country was barred from the Rio de Janeiro Olympics athletics competition the following year. Russians competed as independents at the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics, walking behind the Olympic rings flag at the opening ceremony. Rusada's suspension was lifted in September last year amid strong criticism as WADA gradually got access to key Russian athletes' data from a Russian dope testing laboratory. But in September, WADA said it had again opened compliance proceedings against Rusada after finding inconsistencies in the vast bank of historical testing data finally handed over in January. The WADA decision is likely to determine whether Russian athletes who can prove they are clean will compete as neutrals or whether some will be invited by the IOC to compete in Tokyo. On to football news, Bidvest Vets, South Africa's premiership side, were narrowly beaten 1-0 by Joliba AC in their second 2019-2020 CAF Confederations Cup Group C match at the Stade du 26 Mars yesterday. As a result, Clever Boys, as Vets is affectionately known, are placed third on the group standings, while Melian Giants Joliba find themselves on the second spot. And in cricket news, the Pal Rocks will host the Mzansi Super League final after securing top place in the league when they beat the Nelson Mandela Bay Giants by 12 runs at Bolan Park yesterday. And Fav Duplessis, the Rocks captain, says it's very special for his team to have achieved what they have. Yeah, I think today was a great example of um, the kind of cricket that makes uh, that makes us successful. You know, obviously the planning went into the team and you planned for plan A. And um, we had a lot of injuries in three pro-tier players, which all were batters, pretty right early in the tournament. Um, so therefore, there, there was a shift for me within the team with, you know, a team that needed to be almost guys that are not um, recognised to everyone around the world, playing a small part every game um, and not relying on great names or superstars to win new games of cricket. Um, so today was once again exactly that style of play that we have where everyone gets studies, everyone chips in, all the bowlers just do their thing, fielders do their thing. Giants captain John John Smart says it was again the small margin that was the difference on the day and congratulates the Rocks on reaching the final. Yeah, look, of course you're never happy when you lose a game of cricket. That's pretty, pretty obvious. But um, again... I thought uh, the margins were quite small today. Um, you know, they played really well in their, their last two overs with the bat. I thought we brought it back extremely well, and they played really well. Uh, Kyle Verena and Jordana played really well to, to get them to a really, really good score. Um, and then, like I said, we, we had a few few things. Whenever we got a partnership going, kind of just lost a wicket. Um, you know, I got, I got run out in a bit of a freakish way. Uh, Ryan, Ryan and Hino got a partnership going, and, you know, then we lost a wicket there. And then, obviously... Marco getting hit from the shoulder twice also doesn't help. So, as you said, there was, there was a few funny things that happened in our innings. But um, again, I thought the Pole Rocks played, played, played really well in terms of executing their plans at the death of the ball. Um, yeah, I mean, they are deserved, deserved first place uh, in the competition. And finally, go, uh, Brit- boxing news that Britain's Anthony Joshua says his plan worked for to perfection after defeating Andy Ruiz Jr. on a unanimous points decision in Saudi Arabia yesterday to seize back the heavyweight world championship belt he lost to his Mexican-American opponent in a shock upset in June. That's the Sport News this hour.
Africa rise and shine Africa zola Africa amka na unai 5 minutes before 8 Central African time recapping our top stories on Africa rise and shine Nigerian activist Omoyele Saworo rearrested hours after he was freed Miss South Africa Zozibini Tunzi crowned Miss Universe. And that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today from myself, Amanda Machaga, producer Pumuzo Ramagadza, and the rest of the team. Thank you for listening. You can send us your comments about our show. And you can also tweet us. Our Twitter handle is at RiseAfrica or email us info at channelafrica.org. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is a song that keeps on celebrating our African Queen Zozibini Tunzi who's been crowned Miss Universe. It's a song by Tapsi titled African Queen. <laughs>